It's time that we get honest with ourselves as women today. We're being lied to. Today's cultural beauty standards are, to put it bluntly, messed up. And we all know it, and we all think we can resist the pull to look a certain way. But most of us, and our sisters, and our daughters, and our mothers, and our nieces too, are still striving for a broken kind of beauty while feeling perpetually like we're not good enough. That and more is what we're diving into today in this episode of the Letters to Women podcast. This isn't a podcast where we talk about the one way to become a woman, and it's not a show where I sit down with other women and share about a set of expectations for women today that leave you feeling left out or out of place. And instead, you're going to find a conversation with different women in a variety of seasons of life and hear how they're living out their own unique feminine genius. And all these conversations are offered to you as an encouragement for you to discover more about who you are and how you are called to live out that feminine genius too. My name is Chloe Linger. I'm a Catholic wife and mom living here in Kansas City. I'm coming to you from my basement studio. Joseph is upstairs. Our daughters are tucked into bed. And I love rounding out the evening with a good conversation about one of my favorite topics, which is this feminine genius, and then being able to press record on those conversations and share them with you. In this episode, I'm sitting down with Melissa Johnson. She is a marriage and family therapist. The lie of today's beauty standards eventually led her to battling an eating disorder. And through that experience, she saw that chasing broken beauty breaks us as women in so many ways. And she also realized that true soul deep beauty isn't impossible. It abounds in us and it's all around us. Melissa and I are talking about how to uncover the hidden damage that cultural lies about beauty have on your mind and in your soul, how to reconnect with God in whose image you are made, and how to walk away from shame and striving, especially when it comes to our friendships with other women. If you find yourself wishing that you were thinner or smaller, or you have a list of things that you wish you could change about your body, or you compare yourself to other women's bodies, and you're longing for a more self-compassionate relationship with your body than sister, this letter is for you. Today's episode of the Letters to Women podcast is sponsored by Corda. After the hottest summer ever, it is finally starting to feel like fall, which means that it's time for some of my favorite fall things like coffee on the back porch in the cool mornings and wearing sweaters and lighting candles. And without a doubt, my favorite candles to have burning in our home and give as gifts to friends are candles from Corda. Corda candles bridge the sacred and the secular, and they bring the faith into everyday moments. Their unique scents are inspired by the saints and the faith, and they're infused with their coconut wax blend. And every candle is made by hand by Michael and Anna, makers and husband and wife team. My favorite candle to get for myself and to give to others is Compline, which is inspired by night prayer and it smells like amber and vanilla and lavender. If your parish or school or ministry or maybe your business is looking for a beautiful and meaningful gift this Christmas season, which will be here before we know it, Corda offers special bulk discounts or Maybe you're a bride who wants to include her favorite saints in your wedding. Corda has candles with options that work for just about any budget. You can find out more information about Corda on their website, cordacandles.com. And from now through the end of December, you can use the code letters for 10% off at checkout. That's cordacandles.com with the code letters for 10% off. Now let's dive into this conversation with Melissa. Today, I'm welcoming Melissa Johnson to the podcast. Melissa is a marriage and family therapist as well as a spiritual director. She's also the founder of Impossible Beauty, a blog and podcast dedicated to redefining beauty as the life of God at work in us and among us. Melissa lives near Minneapolis, Minnesota with her husband. Melissa, welcome to Letters to Women. It's such an honor to get to sit down with you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So today we're going to be talking about lies that we believe as women surrounding 
beauty and our bodies. We're going to be talking about diet culture and, and really digging into the contents of a brand new book that you've written. But before we start and dive in, and for listeners who are meeting you for the very first time, can you tell me a little bit about your story as a Christian woman? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I grew up in uh, the Lutheran Church, so Missouri Synod, for those of you who are aware of the the denominations. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up going to church and I think I, you know, looking back, I had a really positive experience with church. I know that a lot of people deal with, uh, you know, church hurt and um, all sorts of things. So I'm looking back, I'm very grateful for that. And I think what was interesting about my experience as well is I really had an opportunity to, like I went to, we called it Trinity, which was kind of an in-depth Bible study for um, for like elementary school kids and did the confirmation curriculum and all of those things. So I feel like I got a lot of the, I guess I'd say like more cognitive side of things. But then I also remember having like some pretty meaningful experiences of the Holy Spirit, like in, in church. Um, and so I feel like I had both of that, like emotional and the cognitive side of faith, uh, which really helped me to know. I remember <laughs> like staring up at my Bible in high school. I think mean, being a senior thinking like, wow, I remember, like, I think people tell me that this is like really important, but I feel like I really haven't dove in, dived in, dived in, <laughs> um, for myself. And so I started to take it a little bit more seriously. And I ended up going to uh, Bethel University, which is a Christian liberal arts university here in the St. Paul area in Minnesota. And I really, really thrived there. I felt like I was able to, I mean, I think this phrase of make my faith my own is, has been, um, is probably overworn. Um, but at the same time, I think I was able to really um, personalize my faith in a way that I hadn't previously. Um, and then I went to seminary and, uh, you know, that tore down some, I think realizing that like, oh, there are different translations of the Bible. And um, I was, that threw me off. Some different things threw me off from when I, when I kind of did a deeper dive into biblical content and translation and things like that. Um, however, I came out on the other side of, of seminary with a deepened faith, um, almost like a distilled faith with kind of like the most important pieces and maybe more accepting of the mystery, um, the pieces that I don't know as a human and, um, maybe trusting God with, with some pieces that I tried so hard to figure out previously. So no, that's so helpful. And too, I think to see the arc of your story where going into through high school and having this strong base of both the head and the heart piece of your faith and having that as a foundation, as you're walking into college and to have that experience and through seminary to have this experience of diving deeper and deeper and like on both aspects and both the relationship with the Lord and then also the cognitive aspect or, or your like relationship is both of those and to see that continue to build is just really beautiful. You've recently written a new book. It's called Soul Deep Beauty, Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawless. Could you tell me about what inspired you to write this book and what readers are going to find when they open this really beautiful cover? Mm, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so what inspired me to write the write the book was something that was so unexpected. So I'm a marriage and family therapist, like you mentioned at the outset, and I was practicing as a therapist and um, it came to my attention via my conversations with my own therapist that she felt that I could utilize or like I could benefit from some more intensive treatment around what she called an eating disorder. And to be honest, Chloe, I was like, quite surprised by that. I, um, you know, I think one of the pieces, there's probably, a, uh, uh, you know, the, the mixture of denial and, um, what I'm about to describe, but I think the, 
the fact that a lot of the things I was doing was disordered had become camouflaged because a lot of my beliefs and behaviors were actually very similar to my peers. Um, and so, you know, a lot of things that will, will probably name diet culture in a few minutes here, things like, you know, restricting foods, um, only eating quote healthy foods or good foods. And, um, you know, the more exercise, the better. And if it's, you know, excessive exercise and that's really good. Um, so those types of things had gotten me into trouble and I, I, I didn't really realize the, um, how deeply that had, uh, just a whole, the whole had gotten into. And thankfully my therapist did see it. And so it actually got to the point where I had to pause my work as a therapist and go into intensive eating disorder treatment. What ended up being about, you know, I think nine to 12 months. Um, and as a result of, of that, uh, this passion for redefining beauty really started to form. I started to see that something that surprised me, I would say, um, is that in the therapy rooms, like in these intensive therapy groups, there were these similar beliefs that I had um, that I just described or alluded to. However, I started to see that those same beliefs and struggles were outside of the uh, the group therapy rooms. I started to see that they were, like I said, the beliefs of my peers, the beliefs of really women and girls of like so such a wide uh, age range, um, as well as you know, and and commercials and like I, I couldn't turn on the radio or uh, the TV without having this like these t this toxic messaging around um, what made you beautiful, what you should do, what you shouldn't eat, um, how much weight you should lose, and how much happier you'll be. Um, and so after seeing that, I I really just. Um, this was really a spiritual journey for me. I, I feel like God really opened my eyes and my heart to see like how this was like destroying me and my life, but then also taking the veil off and seeing like, it's not just me. It's like, we've all been kind of, and this is, might be a strong, a strong word for some, but like brainwashed around beauty and um, the shoulds that come around um, body image, beauty, food, um, and the how it was depleting us of life. And so from there, um, you know, so many steps in between, but I started the impossible beauty, uh, podcast and started writing this manuscript that, um, that I ended up, ended up becoming this book then. Uh, from coming from reading this book and having in my own story, a, a poor and improper relationship with food. Like I think many listeners have as, especially as women, it's so challenging to find healing and in this area of life when you have a culture around you where you're losing excessive weight and you don't even see it or maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to weight and that's just one aspect of it but then to have friends and family even who are attentive to look at you and be like oh you're like losing weight for a wedding or you're everything is so normalized around this where like seeing someone walk through like you do in this book this is how it started and here's the whole process of a healing journey and and i love how you talk about in the book that it's still it's still ongoing that that is so helpful to be able to to read. So thanks for sharing that. I know this is going to be, that's, that's going to touch a lot of women who are going to be able to see themselves in your story as well. Thank you. Not only, and not only does like our understanding of beauty impact the way that we think about our bodies and the shape of our bodies and the weight, uh, like the, how much we weigh and flawlessness and being perfectly put together, but we're also told that we shouldn't be aging. Um, and so we have things that are constantly being throwing, thrown at us and marketed to us where it's like skincare regimes or surgeries or the way that we take care of our hair and that's just scratching the surface. And it's all revolving around this idea of chastising women for allowing themselves to, to either look their age or to look older than they did maybe last month or last year. So 
when we embrace our bodies as a miracle, you write about this in, in your book, what does it look like to truly practice gratitude around the fact that we, we do get older, that our bodies do age and our bodies reflect the reality of that? I remember one of my friends, uh, she actually had her uh, pretty young child pass away, uh, but I was following their carrying bridge uh, up, up to the point before this child passed away. And I remember the husband writing that he was like just driving and seeing, he was near a college campus and seeing the, the adult uh, students just kind of walking on campus and seeing like what an incredible gift it was that they were part of like the action of life. Like they were, uh, they were in the game and he realized like his son was likely not going to be able to be in the game, so to speak. And I think, uh, that, that really, that really impacted me. And I, I wonder how much we've lost around, like the miracle and the wonder of life itself. And I just, you know, even, even like I'm, I'm going to turn 40 in May. And so, you know, already some comments from friends who are turning 40 and, you know, honestly, it's a little bit difficult to not get wrapped up in the like, Oh yeah, the fear around, around that. And I don't even know, you know, there are probably layers of, of things that come up. Um, but, I've, I'm trying and I'm learning to reframe it as like, wow, like I get to turn 40. Like that is really incredible. And I also am thinking about the formation that happens, um, like the, the wisdom that comes with age. And I just, it's interesting how, you know, other cultures, I think this do this a lot better than American culture is, you know, honoring the wisdom of elders and, just, I, I think there is this, and not to like overuse the word soul deep or like that term, but like this soul deep wisdom that comes with age that I, you know, I, I just find it um, stunning the the mentorship that can happen when we learn from those who are older from us and have that well-worn wisdom um, that just can't happen when you're, you know, we can't have it in our twenties or whatever it is. And so I, I think that we have, we are such an image focused, uh, culture. And so that is like, basically like all we're looking at oftentimes because that's all we're really taught to look at. Um, and not only image conscious, but like our image focused, but a very, very specific image. Um, like our, our understanding of quote beauty is very, very narrow or the box is very small. Um, and, and so I think that those are pieces that we could maybe do, start to do is like expand, um, our ideas around like, well, what are we going for here? Like, are we going for soul expansion and the deepening of my character, the deepening of um, like who God has created me to be, um, knowing that I've been created to be this eternal being who's ever developing and ever growing into the likeness of Jesus. And like that, if, when I have that perspective and that's my goal, um, the fact that, you know, maybe I'm getting more wrinkles um, and, and other things, other things that come with age. I mean, some of that can actually become quite beautiful because it's a mark of I have had the privilege of living um, this long. Um, so those are a couple reframes, I think, on, on aging that have been helpful for me to think about. Yeah, I think reframing the idea of aging as something that is a gift or something that is a privilege and an honor to experience another decade of life, especially I think on those, those decade milestones is where it's always a good reminder. It's like, ah, like here's 30, here's 40, here's 50. And reframing that into a conversation where it's like, wow, that's incredible. And even reflective, like what, 
what have you learned in the past 10 years that you didn't know back in your 30s? That's incredible to have that much wisdom and experience that you've had. But that's a major culture shift in when we're checking out at Target and reading an article about how so-and-so such celebrity who is a child of God and as a human being isn't that amazing? They don't even look any different than they did 20 years ago. And it's like, that's the, the standard that we're holding ourselves to as women. And that just doesn't match with this idea that it is a privilege to age and it's beautiful to look the age that you are. And that is a, a beauty, an aspect of beauty as well. Well, and I don't want to bring us too up course here, Chloe, but one thing I just, I, I have reflected on as well as I think maybe like the existential angst that might come up in American culture when we think about the fact that our bodies do get older and we, we are moving toward death. And so I think that um, I, I wonder sometimes if our obsession with youth in America is just not wanting to face some of those hard questions that like we're not going to live, you know, on earth forever. And, um, you know, and actually, no, I don't want to like say that um, to to say that that's wrong or bad. I think that's actually quite normal. That's a really scary thing to think about. Um, and I think that that fear can actually be an invitation and an opening for some deeper work um, around, around, um, all of the things we just talked about around, you know, more thinking about like eternality and, um, maybe looking at life with a larger perspective. Yes. Yes. Like that curiosity around that fear, I think can lead to some really deep healing. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we have this, we have this broken value system for women in America, but it's not just advertisements. It's not just social media. It's also mirrored in, I, you write about this so well, all of our all-female friend groups and in our conversations with all the women who are closest to us. And we are constantly in this process of comparing and contrasting how we look and how we act and what our lives look like and what our families look like. And you write about living in loving community. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? And for women who are hearing this, like, oh, it doesn't have to be that way. I don't have to constantly be living in this space of comparison. Do you have any advice on how to seek that kind of space that is just so different from what we're told is normal for female friendships? It's interesting. Some of the most beautiful communities I have seen have been ones that lead with vulnerability. And I don't mean like you sh we should share all of our um, hard things with new and random people. I don't mean that. But I've just had the privilege of being a part of Al-Anon groups and actually sitting in on um, an AA group uh, and actually my own treatment groups. I have just seen how when we are willing to show the full spe spectrum of who we are. And that means, you know, our showing our, our gifts and our strengths, but then also those areas of struggle, um, how beautiful community can be. And I, I wanted to say that with a caveat though, that I think, um, I think that as sharers, like I, I think that we can be perhaps more vulnerable, but also as people, as the listeners, you know, when we're playing the role of listener in a community, I think, working on our own hearts and our, um, yeah, our own hearts so that we can be that safe space for other people, a safe space, a non-judgmental space, uh, a loving holding environment for, um, for our friends. And, and I think with this, so I, I think those are some of the characteristics of, uh, of like friendship that I have really grown to see the, um, the importance of also, because I think that's where shame dies. I think when we are um, able to, you know, speak the things that we feel shame about, it loses its power. And also when we see that we are loved in the midst of our shame, I think that really shame has no leg to stand on. And I think it's a larger reflection of, of God's grace there is this idea that, um, you know, that, that shame, like the ultimate fear around shame is that we will be abandoned. However, 
um, I think, you know, the, the truth is that um, we already like all of that has been done away with. It's just us opening to the reality of that love. Um, so I think it's reflective of that. But I think another part of this, especially when you said like the all female group um, dynamics, I think that something that I, I learned about in researching for this book was this idea of uh, fat talk is what it's called. So it's a sociocultural term where oftentimes when we're in female groups, like if you, if you were to say you don't like X about your body, I would try to make you feel better by saying, oh, you think that's bad? Well, look at my whatever. Um, and, and it's this idea, like we're, we're doing it out of a place of like, I, I want to show, I, I want you to feel um, like normal and I want you to feel like I understand and like make you feel like, oh, you're, whatever you're bringing up isn't as bad. Um, but what we're doing then is we're perpetuating these broken scripts around beauty and our bodies in a way that is um, is going to only further these uh, broken beliefs, but also the shame that is associated with it. And so what I encourage women to do and encourage us to do in the book is to start um, turning around the conversation around our bodies and starting to talk about our bodies about like, how amazing it is that they like maybe the function of our bodies, like what they can do, how strong our bodies are. Like, like Chloe, I'm trying to think of, I have no idea how many times my heart has beaten or how many breaths I've taken since we started this interview. But I can tell you up until this point, I did not think about it, but like I have been given the breath of life or like the miracle of life for like the last half an hour. And like, I have had to do nothing to do that. Um, and so how often do we think about that? I mean, I would say not very often. Personally, um, I'm trying to think about those things more often. Um, but because of how, you know, advertising has been structured and social media, we have been um, invited to think about our bodies in a very problem-centered way. And I think there's something so in friendships with women where, oh, like I can't, I can't stand this part of my body. And there's something so that desire for connection is so there. Like, ah, I'm seeing someone who is who's picking apart their body and I see that and I want that. I want to accompany them. I want to be there with them. But so often it's just easy to go, like you said, like, ah, that's not that bad. This morning I woke up and such and such. And it's like, no, no, no. And I love to the piece of function. This was a major turning point for me where it came to the way that we view our bodies, the way we talk about our bodies to say, like, no, are you kidding me? Like your legs walked into this house. That's amazing. Or your legs carried you wherever yesterday. That's incredible. And just to be able to focus on the fact that so many of us have, have these bodies that move and, and have grown and, and that is incredible. And that's a different way of framing things than we're told that we should frame things as women. Yes. And I, I'll throw this in there because this, I think this really drove the point home for me. Um, when I learned that cellulite was a term that was made up in like 1969 or 1970 by Vogue, like it was a pre-existing term, like the, the term existed, but it did not mean what Vogue um, made it to mean, you know, like dimples on our thighs or whatever. It did not mean that previously. It actually, nothing near that. Um, and so Vogue invented a problem um, and, and so what I want people to hear and what I'm, I've um, been so grateful to learn is marketers and advertisers and corporations are making up problems. They're making up things to make us feel insecure so we will purchase products. Melissa, we could, we could chat all night about 
diet culture and the impact that it's had and the way that we see beauty as women. But we're just going to be scratching the surface of what you share in your book, what you share in your writing online, and what you share in your podcast. Where can listeners pick up a copy of your brand new book, Soul Deep Beauty, and connect with you online and and find your podcast to keep the conversation going on this topic that is incredibly important? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so the book is called Soul Deep Beauty, Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawless. I mean, basically, I think it's like wherever books are sold, but a lot of the big real retailers would be like Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, Baker Bookhouse usually has, they've been having sales on it, which is great. Um, Christianbooks.com are some of the major places. And then my website is impossible-beauty.com. And you can find the podcast Impossible Beauty on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, basically all the major places for the for the podcast. Um, yeah. And then on Instagram, I'm at melissa.louise.johnson and then at impossible.beauty. One last question for you as we wrap up our conversation tonight. Letters to Women is a podcast that's inspired by John Paul II, who wrote about this genius of women, which he talks about this unique ability for women to bring forth and nurture life in the world, both physically, but then also spiritually. Can you talk about how you live out this feminine genius in your ordinary and your daily life, especially as a woman who's inviting others to encounter true beauty? Hmm. So I love this question, by the way. I so the way I'm redefining beauty is the life of God at work in us and among us. And so for me on my podcast, I have the privilege of talking about that kind of beauty with guests all the time. And so my, my hope is that through having these conversations, um, you know, in the book, but weekly on the podcast, I, um, I can help myself and others open our eyes in our hearts to what true beauty is. And when we're able to see um, the life of God at work in us and among us, like with, um, it's there all the time, you know, and I think we just have eyes, need eyes to see it. I think we can start to embrace like that fullness of life that Jesus talks about, that abundant life. Uh, when we can see God at work in our midst um, and kind of see reality for what it is. Mm, it's so good. I've loved reading your book and getting to speak with you tonight and listen to your podcast and see that expansion of our definition of beauty. It's not just this little narrow box that we've been told that it is, but I love that. And it's all around. It's where we're noticing it everywhere. Um, and thank you for, for your witness to your healing, but then also to encourage women to see this expansion of beauty in their daily lives and for coming on the show tonight and sharing your story. Thank you so much, Chloe. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Letters to Women. You can check out my show notes for the conversation with Melissa on my website, letters to women podcast.com or scroll down in your podcast player for links to pick up your copy of soul deep beauty to connect with melissa online to check out her podcast and in the show notes you're also going to find a link to corda they are the sponsor for today's episode finally you'll find a link to sign up for my newsletter naptime notes once a month i share about the books that i'm reading to myself and to the girls some braggable thrift store finds updates on our adoption journey and the podcast that i'm listening to Naptime notes will always be free, but when you subscribe at $5 a month, you get early and ad-free access to all the Letters to Women episodes, days and sometimes weeks and weeks before they go live. So if you listen to the podcast and you love the conversations and the guests of the show, please leave a rating and review, especially if you tune in via iTunes or Spotify. During the month of September, you can enter to win a signed copy of the Letters to Women book, which is full of 30 letters from women in different seasons of life, writing on the feminine genius and what it means in their daily life. To be entered to win, just leave a review of the Letters to Women podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and send a screenshot of that review to me at letters to women at gmail.com. And this, if you have already reviewed the podcast, take a screenshot of that and send it on over to that. I would love to include you in this giveaway. I'll announce the winners on the show in October. If you know someone who would love to listen in on this conversation with Melissa, please send it their way. 
And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any future episodes. And that's all I have for today's episode. So until next time, be not afraid.